0: Hello, my friends. Today, we're talking to Adam, owner at Lifted Logic, and we discuss how Adam used failure as his greatest company building tool, why chasing happiness isn't the best way to structure your goals, and how gardening gave Adam a renewed perspective on building a platform. All of this right here, right now,
1: on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the modern CTO podcast. The way I got introduced to you was my parents came up to visit because we just moved to Nashville. And so they said, oh, we were at this you know conference and this guy gave an awesome talk and you got to know him and he did all this tech stuff and they rattled off a bunch of cool things. So what were you talking about at a medical conference? So I'm in Houston. I speak for them kind of all over. They use me as a keynote
0: speaker. And then they talk and teach about their, their, you know, their medical device. So this weekend is actually one of the biggest events ever. They're launching a brand new platform. And so I'm down in Houston starting tomorrow. It's like a black tie
1: weekend. Now, previously, did you get your start in medical devices? Tell me how you got started.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I grew up in the hood. I got diagnosed with autism when I was six and basically, so I'm 37 almost now. My parents basically, you know, they said, we got to get him into something. You know, he's going to have a super addictive personality and, you know, we just want to keep, so I got into, I got into programming back on trash 80s, on Tandy's, on the bulletin board systems and just kept doing that. And then I ended up in special ed in high school. We ended up moving out of the hood. And so they kind of put me into things like photo and video, you know, classes that you can't fail. In college in 2003, I started a company that grew to about 20 million users a month. So we were huge back in 2003 and we got our provisional patents in and we created the software that put videos onto phones. It was a transcoding software and a transcoding platform. So I ended up licensing it to the carriers so they could sell data plans. You know, before Real Player was on every single device got utilization of like 2%. And we said, why? You know, this plug-inless environment is coming. Each phone technically has its own codec. If I know what your phone is, I can just convert it on demand to your phone format. And that was really what the software was. And I thought that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars was supposed to fix my life. You know, you, you, you think that money, especially growing up where I grew up, it's like it's supposed to fix everything. And I never actually found purpose. You know, like, I, I mean, I was plenty happy. But I still felt pretty unfulfilled. In the meantime, kind of during some of the early days, Mark was working on Facebook and he reached out to us and said, Hey, you know, I think there, I mean, there must have been nine people there. We're looking for some help with soft asset valuation, which I think later became part of their ad platform, right? Like, how much are all of these assets worth? How much is a phone number worth? How much is an email worth? How do we look at like user values? Came back to Kansas City 15 years ago and said, I want to just start a company that I would want to work at. And so I kind of just kept my head down and we started an invite-only digital agency, mostly focusing on web development at that time. And now, you know, we're still basically invite-only. We just do a thousand projects a year and we're closer to a hundred million in annual revenue than a startup at this point. It's been a
1: wild ride again. Dude, that is awesome. You were able to apply lessons from your first company to your second. How did you do the second company better than the first company? Oh, man. That's a good question. You know, I felt so much guilt at the first company.
0: It was like, it was really an early SaaS company. You know, SaaS was like not a thing. People are like, what are you, crazy? You're not selling your company? You want people to pay you pennies every time they use it? And I was like, yeah. But it was a very lonely company. It was a tech-based startup. And you know, most of it was in the tech. And I think the big difference of switching over is now it's in the people. So I think it was just a totally different thing. You know, I, I mean, most of what I learned, I feel like I learned from my failures. I don't know about you, but I feel like I fail way more than I succeed. And I just learn. I learn a lot from that. Like,
1: I had a, an epiphany 10 years ago where I started reading biographies about successful people like Branson, Musk and all this stuff. And I, I finished these three books, Bezos, Branson and Musk. And I was like, oh my gosh, success is just a collection of failures. I yeah. need to go out there. And like get the failures out of the way because that's all it is. And so you know, growing
0: up, my dad was always like, dude, if you hit three out of ten balls in baseball, you're in the hall of fame. You failed 70% of the time. So go fail. Right. You know, it's like, all right, I can do that. I can fail. I really
1: don't feel bad. So what did you learn? You got after you got a bunch of money, you realize that's not purpose. And how did you go about giving your life meaning or finding purpose? Yeah,
0: that's a good question. I think it constantly it's shifting, you know, as as you welcome another baby. Into this world, right? It's like so. Okay, there was this concept we were working with DoCoMo, and the true answer to how this kind of fell into place for me was they go, "Man, you guys," because like you know, they're like, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm chasing happiness." And they go, "No." I was like, "What do you mean, no?" They go, "See, that's that's very American." I was like, "Well, yes." They go, "What you're looking for is ikigai." I don't know if you've ever seen it before if you Google it, it's like what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, what gives you happy, you know, it's like, it's... it's oh, yes, yes, yes. Purpose, right? It's like, and that, that moves throughout life, you know, like after you have your first kid, right, your purpose shifts, but that doesn't mean you truly feel like you're a systemically different person. I mean, I guess you kind of are, but yeah, I, I think I just realized this is gonna be a pretty fluid journey through my life of trying to find purpose. I think I'm still searching every day. I like who, that. You, you obviously have had so many accomplishments. Like how do how do you chase are you chasing your purpose, you know? So I mean obviously you just had another kid.
1: Like how's that how does that work for you? I could definitely say the end result is it's a constant work. So I my background did software development for for many years because my dad who you met he was a engineer both software and hardware. So he would take me to work with him and I learned that. And then I did some real estate software that did pretty well, not anywhere near Like, I think I made like a million dollars on it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was still like 21 or something. And so I I learned how to manage money and and do all of that. And then I started trying to figure out happiness in in my late 20s. Like, I started thinking about it and being like more conscious. Like, I feel like my brain sort of actually turned on at like 25. (laughs) Right? Right? I started realizing that, oh, I'm not the only person in this world. There's other people and they're going after other objectives. And we have to kind of figure out how everything works. So then build some more software. And then I had this realization. So my mom died. So you met my stepmom. And so out of nowhere, she had a stomach ache. She went to the hospital. They're like, you have cancer, but you've probably got like two years. She died like three weeks later. Wow! And so I got to be in the room and hold her hand with my brother and my sister like as she passed away. And at that moment, I was like, I, I don't know, something just clicked for me. And so there was a book I'd wanted to write about what I learned building my first tech team and then teams of teams. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to go write that book. So I actually did it. And I and I went and I did it after that day. And then I wanted to validate the book. So I was like, I need to start talking to other CTOs. So let's use this podcast as an ex- as an excuse to talk about book content. Yeah. And so we did. and And then it sort of turned into this thing. I thought what would happen would be that the podcast would get me a lot of relationships and I'd end up like CTO at AT AT&T or like VP of engineering at like Brex, like some like, you know, big, awesome, cool job. But what ended up happening was uh, first we started licensing the content for like leadership training, like companies were paying us to license our podcast content. That went away in the pandemic because leadership budgets got cut. And then people started paying because like we had a six month like backlog of episodes. They started paying to come on like, right away. So they wanted to call us up and they wanted to have someone on within two weeks and have it air. And they didn't want to wait six months. And so we realized people would pay for it and that they have marketing budgets. So we created marketing packages, grew that business to a million dollars a year. And then we were like, oh crap, there's only so many episodes you can do. And then we ended up talking to our sponsors and they said, well, we want you to make us a podcast. And so we started podcast production company and we just grew that. And were like at the end of the first year of growing that, so that's like oh. my journey for the context. My mom was a big milestone, and then when I had the creator of the internet, uh, Sir Timber or World Wide Web and yeah, yeah, OSI, yeah. so many levels. So people ripped me apart by the way on that one. <laughs> Which part of the internet? Her <laughs> Tim Berners Lee, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I thought maybe it was Al Gore or something. I don't, you know, I. Don't <laughs> ride, so. I actually had people explain that to me. Apparently, Al Gore did the policy for it, but he right. did the technology. So I had this big, I got depressed. It's like, I think I was like 300 episodes into the show or something. Because I realized that I had set out to accomplish to talk to all these people. And I had talked to pretty much everybody I wanted to talk to. And then I had on like some really brilliant, like self-help people <laughs> and stuff. And I just started telling them my story. And I'm like, do your thing that you do. That's real expensive, but for free with me in front of this oh, audience. <laughs> <laughs> so um, It's really
0: interesting, you know, as you say that, right? Like, I'm very open about my own mental health as well. And like when yeah. I talk to kids, you know, they always call me. They're like, bro, you got hundreds of millions of dollars. Tell me that can't make you happy. And it's crazy on one podcast I did for this high school, this, this school collective, I literally used, I said, look, you won the lottery. You won $40 million. Are you happy? They said, yes. I go, one of your parents just passed away. Are you happy? And they say, no. And I say, clearly that shows there's there's not a causational effect of money and happiness. And so, you know, I think it's, I've never met anybody that truly went through that in the same way. And I've used that example a lot. So kudos to you, you know, those catastrophes in life. And then, you know, having that, I know I'm going to be on antidepressants the rest of my life. You know, I I know that I know who I am and I know, I know what I'm going to struggle with, but you're one of the few people I've ever met. Only one that has that story in the same way. So that's, that's wild, man. I got goosebumps. Yeah.
1: It's crazy. No, that's why I've been Tracy, my stepmom. She's been my stepmom for 20 years. She's amazing. And then my dad, they were like, you've got to meet this guy. And I was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. It's yeah. crazy the people you meet just around the world.
0: You know, like I remember talking to them. I did not make this connection. I remember them coming up and bragging and being like, my son's kind of a big deal in this in this CTO. You should meet <laughs> it. Like, yeah, Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Like, here's my, you know, I'll take your card. Hit me up. I can't believe it came full circle.
1: Yeah. Like. It's the same thing. People are always like, Oh, you've got to have so and so on. I'm like, Okay. And they gave me the card. And then I went to your website and there was this picture of you like dancing like a monkey with like a gardening bucket. And I was like, This guy, this is he's coming on. I was like, We're doing this episode. That's awesome. Dude, you got you should check out I just launched my own personal site.
0: I'm very much like, you know, we I don't want my face anywhere. I really don't want people knowing who I am. Like I'm glad to get to do stuff like this and get to make a difference this way. You know, like, I feel like this is, obviously for you too, like finding your purpose through showcasing, I mean, even what you're going through and
1: being vulnerable. I mean, you know, that's, that's not common. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like one big moment. It was sort of like very incremental. Like day one, there's like me and my wife listening to the podcast, right? There's like two listeners. And then just, I just made a decision early on to just I don't know. I've always been like a wear it on my sleeve type of person. Cause I feel my philosophy is if I give you as much accurate and truthful information as possible, you can do the processing and bring me value. But if I'm giving you half information or like putting a spin on it, then the result you're going to come back with is less valuable to me. Cause you don't have everything.
0: So if you had to get out of tech, if you were totally, somebody goes, all right, man, here's a check, you know, here's a couple hundred million dollars, whatever it is, but you got to work 40 hours a week and it cannot be in tech. Yeah. What do you think? What would you, what would you pick? Is podcasting tech? Let's say yes, only because that'd be an easy, easy answer.
1: Well, I would um, invite successful people to my castle to have conversations about life. You still got a podcast out of it, didn't you? You just, that's you <laughs> man. I mean, the fact that you still found a way to still have a round table and talk. Dude, it's because it's addictive. Like, I'm very, very happy that about the way that this turned out, but. The reality is I get to talk to amazing people two or three times a week. And I just had a call before this. It backed up with, I only have one venture capital company that invested in us when we were leadership training. And then it like failed, but the entity stayed the same because I was like, I'm not collapsing the entity. You guys need to get your investment back. Let's pivot and do sponsorship and like keep it going. And they were actually surprised. <laughs> I was Thank like, you. well, that's just what you've got to do, man. You're just... So you know, my
0: dad. My dad went through bankruptcy. I'm pretty open, you know. He, and, they, and they are too, man. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. He went through bankruptcy, and you know, I he hit he 50 years in business this year. And um, I went to a trade show with him when I was a young, well, a young, young man, young kid, young boy, whatever. And and these people came up to me and they said, "You know what? You have an amazing dad." And I said, "Yeah, I mean, I know that, but like, they go, you know, he went bankrupt. He paid every single one of his vendors back still, and I never." You know, I never thought twice about, it. Uh, like, of course my dad would do something like that. You know, like he never told anybody, he didn't make it a thing. He just told them, he was like, look, I can't pay you right now. And I, I have to do what I have to do. But I'm going to, I'm going to, my name is the only thing I really have. I think it's, you know, you obviously did a similar thing. Obviously you didn't go through bankruptcy, but you still yeah. have a backbone. Again, this well, is I mean, so rare, man. Like I don't meet a lot, there's not a lot of people like you out there.
1: I'm sure you know I that. I wish I could take credit for it. I think it might be genetic or something. <laughs> like, uh, this just like, it's, you know, I learned really early in business that you have to have a contract. <laughs> you can't just shake hands. But it was me being, I guess, naive. But like, I'm so interested in coming through on what I say I'm going to do that, you know, when I shake someone's hand and we make an agreement, I expect that to be carried out. Um, but, you know, then the business stuff happens. But still, that's that's just, I don't know. I like being that person. It's, it's easier to be that person because otherwise you're the, the slippery, slimy salamander. <laughs> you don't want to be the salamander. I don't want any alliterations, right? right? <laughs> I don't want any of that.
0: What do you, oh, so I have a question for you. I've been told, you know, as I, as I went and looked for like, how many of your CTOs that you kind of meet with, you know, for me, I have a super, I mean, obviously my background's on business. I mean, I've been a programmer for 30 years and object oriented programming was always a part of my life. And, and, you know, everybody jokes I'm the only IT person at the company as well. But that's only because back when we started programming, we had to make, you know, I had to make my own drivers. Like we, If I wanted to use something, you know, I'd, I'd make it. But how many of the CTOs that, that you interact with have that strong financial background versus, you know, the, the new CTO doesn't seem to be the CTO of old? How much of that do you kind of see as you're even, inter, you know, interfacing and, and meeting some of these CTOs
1: now? So... I see a couple things. The first thing that I see as a trend is that the superhero jerk, that persona
0: is dying. Like the God complex tech. I'm the only person that could ever know this. So you respect me?
1: Okay. Yeah. The one you walk in the room and they're, they're expected to just like be treated different. You get it. But yeah, that being rude and being extraordinarily talented, but not knowing how to interact with people like that became unpopular because the technology became more complicated and you needed to rely on more people. So then your ability to interact with people became incredibly important to achieve an objective, right? So that whole thing is, is one trend I see. I see CTOs of all different shapes and sizes, all different skill sets. The ones, the trend line that I see of the ones that are most successful is self awareness Mm. and then awareness of how the tech impacts the business. When they're in the company and they understand how the sales work And what people pay for and then what's being produced from the technology team, those two traits tend to be the most successful. There's a small subset of CTOs, and maybe this will answer it better. I'd say sub five percent that I talk to that are at a level of like significance, right? And say that they still program. And what I've noticed that they do is they'll actually spin out, like hire like a senior vice president, like of engineering and have that person sort of play that role of, of traditional. And then yeah. they'll have like an office of the CTO where they're like experimenting and they have a small team, maybe five to seven people that are running experiments, figuring out things that they could do better. So when, they, when they've sort of got that like in the lab hands-on type deal and they don't want to let it go, then they sort of spin that office of the CTO out and make sure that the other stuff's covered. But I see a handful of people that want to do that, but don't know that that's an option and they're kind of depressed. Why? Right? Huh. Because they, they, they had to stop programming to do all this other stuff. Right. But they don't want to stop programming.
0: Like and... They were the best programmer. They got, they got promoted to manager and then...
1: Oh, okay. yeah. Yes. So that, those are a couple things. Did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, well, so I was, on a, I was on a panel. You know, we get asked as technologists, I don't even know what the hell to call us, right? Like we get asked really ethical questions. You know, I was on a panel within a year is for, I'm trying to think what I can disclose, is for some, for some government questions, right? Like, they, they're still, I mean, you look at our politicians, right? They're, they're old enough that none of us would actually ever hire them for our own companies. You know? <laughs> and I got this 80-year-old that's looking for this tech job, and you'd be like, yeah, no, I mean, that's maybe illegal, but like, you know, maybe it's not like the, maybe it's, you know, experience-wise, like a little far out. But they're setting our, you know, our laws. And so I'm on this panel, and one of the questions came up about deep fakes. Should this be legal or illegal? And I'm looking around, I'm going, how in the hell? you You have CTOs in this room and tech experts asking them ethical questions. Not how did we create something like that or what do you think we should do? And I'm going, don't you think psychiatrists and psychologists should probably be the ones in here? You're asking tech people, ethically and legally, if we should be producing this. You know, they're asking things like, is there a victim? Is there a victim? How am I qualified? You know, like, what I saw kind of going around the table was misplaced understanding of technology and our roles, right? Like for me, you know, I kind of take on the, I mean, I am the CEO of the company, but I also am, obviously it's a tech, you know, it's a massive digital agency. So it's tech is in my everyday life. And and that, so the lines are really blurred. I'm sitting next to somebody else that's been running cat cables all day long with networking that probably is closer to an A plus certification. You know, it's like, answering ethical questions and I just I didn't know you know is that the perception of the misalignments of what a CTO is now and that's how we all ended up here you know I thought for me and I'm here for video and I've got a pretty good expertise on video and transcoding and distribution and you know had a pretty pretty deep relationship with Pirate Bay back in the day totally different story but you know is that how CTOs are also being viewed company-wide industry-wide corporate-wide like what is when you when you kind of have those interfaces yeah, I mean it sounds like you know there's there's obviously still a lot of working CTOs though.
1: Yeah. So it would it would definitely specifically on the ethics question. I haven't seen that a lot where I have seen it a little is companies that have controversial like facial recognition companies and 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 things of that nature. And typically what they do is they def- they have an ethicist like on the team. It's like a somebody who right. study I mean Ethics is like a field of study. It's like a whole thing. So to ask somebody that has no, you know, I mean, we all have our human and it's all valid, like our human responses and everything like that. But if if you're talking about like we're in the business world and we're, we're making some decisions on like specific strategy and we want the best information that's humanly available to us to make this decision, you're definitely going to want to go find the people that eat, sleep and breathe it every day for for their career, right? Right, I mean, maybe so much of tech is posturizing
0: anyways, right? And hypothesizing, you know, it's like, hey, I know you don't really build mobile apps, but let's talk through this, right? And maybe it's that, ext- you know, extrapolation out there of just saying like, okay, we, we think in a, maybe a more procedural way about concepts we don't understand. So are, do you see the CTOs becoming less and less what we maybe would have described as a traditional tech thinker?
1: Um, No, I think there's like a certain portion of CTOs that are Harvard business yeah. CTOs. They I typically run into them when we're talking about companies that are owned by like family offices or private capital because that they'll run in their networks and then they need someone who's smart on tech and then they'll be like, hey, you know how to formally run a business and you know tech. Can you come in and help me with my tech side of things? You know, I, I see that more, but I'd say the vast majority is is creative people trying to solve a problem and really loving the problem solving. Like for me, for the better part of 17 years, every day I wrote code until year two of this podcast when it like really started making money. And then I just kind of stopped because I found that the thing that helps me, the thing that satisfies me is, is getting to talk and think through problems and talking to other people like you that have solved problems and how you did it. So, you know, I talked to this guy the other day that put an electrode stent through the jugular up through the brain vessel so that you get the brain computer interface without having to drill through the skull and you can go home the same day. Right. And he's got this embedded in people. It's like having people come on, explain how they solve problems. And then of course the the audience is always at the, the center of everything. And it's like, how do we bring value? So,
0: well, you know, we just did a big company retreat. This has been, it's really hitting a, a interesting place. We, so we sat down, we took everybody down to a ranch down in Texas and, you know, we were talking and everybody was talking. So in-house, we have photo, video, design, dev, content. You know, it's, it's a heavy creative thing. And so we were talking. We said, hey, we're a large group of creatives. And one of my lead devs comes over and he goes, Adam, you know, is it bad? I don't think of myself as a creative. I hadn't really processed that before. You know, he was like, so I go, what do you think of yourself as? He goes, well, I mean, I take the designs and make them something, And I have to come up with creative solutions, but I would not call myself a creative. And for me, you know, I I mean, I was a developer just like him, right? I was a web developer. I mean, I've been in PHP, JavaScript, MySQL, most of my life. I mean, that's still the backbone of most of the internet. But I still view myself as a creative. And I hadn't really, I had to take a step back from him. And I looked at the rest of the developers and I'm like, do you guys feel like creatives? And they were all like, no. And I think for, you know, it was like, it was jarring for me to step back and look at that and go, man, wow, okay. Has that changed? Is that industry-wide? You know, I mean, if I ask most of the developers out there in the world, are you a creative? I would have assumed yes. But everybody at my camp, they're like, no, I mean, we love our jobs. We feel creative, but we're not creatives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I actually, I haven't asked that question. You feel like a creative. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And I project myself onto other people all the time. So I just assume that they're all... (laughs) (laughs) I assume that they're all creative, but you're right. I actually don't have like data points. I haven't actually asked CTOs. Dude, there's a great book. So we've got Hallmark
0: here in town, and there's there's a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And this guy basically talks about like how corporate bureaucracy ends up spooling this web of building. You know, it's like you set one rule because something happens, and then you you set rules because things happen, right? Like, man, I wouldn't have thought somebody's gonna walk out with a server. Okay, there's a rule, you know, like and that's how big corporate infrastructure gets built. And he said, you know, he went to a group of kindergarten and he said, everybody in this room, raise your hand if you're a creative, you're an artist. He said, actually, if you're an artist, every kid raised their hand in that room, right? Every single one of them. He goes back in third grade. He goes, everybody raise your hand if you're an artist. Everybody, but like five people raised their hand. And he follows these kids all the way through, right? Middle school, half the class raises their hand. High school, he only has three artists left. And he looks at the room and he goes, where the hell did all the artists go? You guys were artists, but now you're not. How did this happen? Because every single one of you identified as an artist when I first met you. It's a really, it's, I think it was an Orbiting Giant Hairball. It's a great book. And, you know, it, you wonder if maybe in dev, we just got caught with a different part of that time period. You know, like, yeah, maybe we just happened to be early on enough as developers where we still had to, I, I hate to even say it because they're still creative. I still view that as creative, but. To where we self identified as creatives.
1: See, well I think I think one of the key distinctions between like the group I'm a part of and, and let's say the other group, right, is that I wanted an outcome and I found that programming stood in my way to achieve the outcome. Mm. So I learned programming and I was getting the outcomes that I wanted by getting better at programming. And then I liked it a lot. Like it became a hobby. It was something I did for work. It it was enjoyable. I enjoyed it until I found something that's more enjoyable and that's coaching people, my team, and being able to achieve, like you can achieve so much more with a group of engineers than one engineer yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, that was more exciting So then I was just programming like hobby wise, and then I would build teams and teams of teams, and then watching the people grow and sort of like helping them through life things and just talking about stuff. That that, to me became my new favorite thing in life. That's amazing. Do you think that code boot camps have had any
0: sort of shift in the mindset? Of programmers? Because it feels now like there's such a high density of the professional field of programming that have gone through some sort of boot camp or school. Do you think the way in which we learned programming shifted how we viewed ourselves as developers? The fact that we, I mean, I was self-taught. It sounds like you were mostly self-taught and just... Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. You should see how happy I was when I figured out that there were books that taught you how to do this and you didn't have to read documentation. <laughs> I was just guessing check like a monkey, like sciencing it. And that's how I figured out how things worked. Yeah.
0: I mean, did you go to college? Did you study computer science? No,
1: at all? I did horrible in school. I woke up every day and figured out like how I could sleep through class so I could work on the computer when I got home and play Call of Duty or some other and in, in insert whatever video game was popular at the time. And so, and then in the 11th grade, I was making enough money on online and through s- software projects that I did the, the same exit program that homeschool kids go through. And then I just left school.
0: I was like, see ya. That's awesome. So did you even enroll in college then? Or did you just say, screw no. it? Good no. for you.
1: I, I, dude, school is not, it is amazing for what it was designed for, but we've made it something other than what it was designed for. And it's not that great at doing those things, but it's amazing for what it was designed for. And I, I got what I needed out of it, which is basic mathematics, reading, writing, and basic social skills, like how to interact and get things done with others. So will the, you send your things. kids to
0: school? Will you
1: send them to school, or are you going to homeschool or unschool? Absolutely not. Yeah. They're already homeschooled, and my five-year-old's already into first-grade curriculum. Whoa. And if she were to be going correct, like normally, she would be starting kindergarten last month. Will you recommend to your kids
0: that they get into programming? Because I get this question a lot. You know, I get off stage and somebody's like, "I want my kid to go into programming." I'm not going to say what I say. I just what? What are you? What is your kind of gut on that?
1: No. I mean, I I see my responsibility as preparing these creatures for life. And I will interject like a minimal amount, like as needed. Like I read some psychology books and they said some of the trends between kids who are most successful is that by the age of five, other kids want to play with them. Mm. And that they're respectful of adults in conversation. And what that'll do is that'll make the parents want to invite your kid over. Because if your kid's respectful, they'll they'll have more opportunities, and so then they'll be around more more respectful people, and it'll reinforce itself. So I focused on those two things. so and for
0: you, man. My pa- I tried baseball, soccer, the things I ended up sticking with were music, and you know I'm glad I stuck with those guitar and marching band and that stuff. But it was the same way. My parents never made me feel bad. You know, they were never like you quitter. Oh, you know, it's so like they said the same thing. You're going to finish out your seasons. Or you're going to, you know, if it's karate, you're doing the things. You know, until we pay for the classes are done, but. I thought that was like an isolated experience. You know, I didn't know a lot of people that... So it's neat to see you doing the same thing for them. Failure's great. My parents made me stay up there and finish pitching out a season that, thank God, there was a six-walk six walk rule, six-run rule, because we'd never finished a game. I hit more players. I probably did long-term damage. I hit more players up flat than... <laughs> and so nobody wanted to go up. They're like, no, nope, let this idiot go up there and pitch. We're not going up. But they made me finish it.
1: So you must have donated some of that money to, like, people that had concussions from sports industry. <laughs> <laughs> injuries as a child? Yes. How did you get into gardening? Oh,
0: man. So, um, you know, growing up where I grew up, my parents, after we, even after we got out, they were super particular. Like, I could never mow the lawn. And I couldn't really... I'd, if I was going to get hurt, you know, it was like a very typical Jewish parents. Just super paranoid about everything. I love them. I bought them the house across the street. So we're very close. They live literally right across the street. I planted a tomato for like a college class. And it grew, and I didn't really like tomatoes. But I was like, oh, my God, I grew this thing. Like, I felt this connection. And all I did was water it with a hose. You know, it's like I put it in, watered it, and think remembered most of the time. But something changed for me. You know, this connection to something. I was like, man, this tomato has been around. You know, I started doing research on, like, the seed, and I was like, this things has been here thousands and thousands. I just experienced one of its life cycles.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And it changed everything for me. I got into microbiology. And started breeding mycorrhiza and then ended up getting some consulting jobs at the DEA to help them grow at a big research institute here in town and get to brew mycorrhiza and fungal teas. And it literally just kind of kept growing. And, and, you know, I probably can't see too terribly much out back, but I got a bunch of land out back and uh, got an orchard. And that's my happy spot. A lot of it kind of ended up tying back into what I saw on the digital side as well. You know, we use like, we use a lot of the same terms. And a lot of the same thought process, like organic growth. You know, most of the time people are referring to SEO. It's the same kind of thing, right? Like you're, you're creating and working and slowly building a base and a platform. And like a lot of, I think the thing, it was the right time. Like I just saw so much similarities in these pieces um, that programming is a lot more similar for me to gardening in a lot of ways. And I know that sounds super weird. I'm, no, it doesn't.
1: I, I'll share. So like you can create an environment where the tomato can grow, but you can't force the tomato to grow. And that's, a, that's how life works. You, you can't just do the thing. You have to create an environment where that thing can happen and flourish.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think once I realized like plants very you know, plants, if you feed them chemical fertilizers, uptake basically what the chemical is. But in nature, you know, there's a bunch of basically parasites that live on the tomato's roots that convert the food into a digestible form for a plant. And so, really, what you're doing is you're you're treating the surrounding areas around it, and that was the same thing for me with like how I looked at the employees. You know, it's like I could focus all this this thing on this product, but what I want to focus on is our environment. You know, we, I say like we don't have we don't have like a a mission statement on the wall. We don't even have a mission statement as a company. But if you asked every single employee, they know exactly what the mission of the company is because you create a good environment. And I think it was the same thing with the garden. It was like. Everything, even if I'm feeding dirt, it seems like you're doing nothing, but you're changing the entire environment.
1: I wish I had an environment it's like sponsor, I'd plug them right now. <laughs> <laughs> you should talk to Acres Magazine, they're one of the best gardening magazines. Uh, dude, that is awesome. So, what does your company do, and who is your customer, and how can people reach out to you?
0: Uh, so, Lifted Logic is a high end digital agency. We specialize in organic content creation. Lead generation and a heavy, heavy focus on ROI through internet marketing and whatever delivery medium that it really needs. We do everything in house, and we work with clients as small as startups to H and R Block. We got to build their tax system. We work with Tesla, Lego. So we work with the the large array. We just really what we look for is cool freaking people with cool ideas.
1: Nice. And how can people reach out to you and find out more?
0: Uh, You can get on liftedlogic.com, fill out a contact form, let everybody know that you saw us here on this show, and uh,
1: we'll connect. I think this is one of my favorite interviews, Adam, because I think we successfully did not cover one topic of conversation and the topic outline. Love it. So I, I love it. I do too. It feels great. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or a LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.